Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me on the web, we have David. Spoopy Boys. Spoopy Boys, also known as Nightly. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com for its last goodnight life, and that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as this Monday. If you don't have any books to toss, don't worry about it. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, with our feature presentation with this month being Trick or Retreat Month, we are exploring films that filmed around the pagan holiday Halloween, we have the movie Poltergeist. David, first and foremost, thoughts? Well, I do have to say, I understand a lot more references references from the movie Scary Movie now. <laughs> There's oh, a sure. ton. Um, but I, I don't think this movie aged all too well. I actually wasn't really much of a fan because of the acting and the dialogue, oh, no. but there's a lot of context to be said with that. This is my first time watching it, and I think watching it in 2020 for the first time, it might be a little rough. It could be fun if you have the right expectations set. I don't think those were set for me, um, and I apologize to Poltergeist fans because I know there's a lot of people that are going to hear this and be like, what? Um, but I think if I were to watch this you know, when it released in 1982 or um, as a young kid in the 80s or 90s, I would have been a huge fan. Um, but I never got that opportunity. Um, and surprisingly, I actually know or I was aware of what was going to happen and what was happening um, in this movie because of pop culture. Um, right. This this movie's been Definitely. referenced a lot and I never realized that because I've never seen it before I, this is my first time entering the the series as a whole um and yeah it's it, it's it's been uh referenced a lot and a lot of times in a comedic fashion so i i saw most of the movie cheesy because of it um there were some there was like small moments that i thought were cool especially towards the end there were small moments um that had me thinking about uh the original nightmare on elm street but Overall, um, yeah, overall, I uh, I tried to get into it, but it was tough. And I think it's because of the the age the of age it. Of film. Yeah, I, I think it's just the acting overall. The acting, I think, was just terrible. I, I think even for the standards of when it was released, it was pretty bad. But who's to say? This came out in 82. Wow. I was born. I was born 10 years after that. Right. Um, but right. there's there's that very like overemphasized on emotion acting that was really, I think, prevalent in the 70s and the early 80s. Um, and this, and I don't think it ages well, and I think this is just chock full of that. I feel bad because I really wanted to like this movie. Um, and I know there's a lot of Poltergeist fans out there, so I apologize. But I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying that uh, for me particularly, it, it, it didn't age well enough to the point where I could enjoy it. Um, but I don't think it's sure. a bad movie. 
it's very interesting that you're saying all this too because I think this is one of the first films where we both haven't seen this movie because or like for sure for sure we haven't seen this because we've <laughs> talked about like Sinister if we saw it or not but I've never seen Poltergeist before this is my first time going into it and I have a different reaction. I actually love this movie. I right, thought it I'm was glad a lot to hear of that. fun. I'm glad to hear it that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy it a lot. It definitely feels like a Steven Spielberg film, even it though does. he's not the one that directed it. He definitely helped write it, and he, of course, produced the film. And he picked Tobe Hooper to be the director of this movie for specific reasons. We'll, we'll talk about that later in the fun facts, which was very interesting. Uh, it's really cool because I feel like this horror movie didn't really fit the horror genre that well. I felt like it was more like an adventure movie with horror elements inside it. Yeah, I would have it to agree with that. It kind of felt like, because it is like what you said, it's like a little corny, it's a little over the top. It's It felt kind of like the Goonies, like the family of Goonies trying to deal with this poltergeist and seeing how they go along with the ride and stuff like that. And of course, this ghost does not, it's not a shy ghost. It's definitely in your face. It pops up wherever. I do say the special effects are not that great, but that's because of its age. But it's still a fun watch. And kind of what you were saying, there are so many references that I knew about that <laughs> I've never, like, I guess, correlated it back to this movie. But of yeah. course, there's a, you're, or they're here. I forgot <laughs> lines everywhere. It's so it's funny. Like, oh, yeah, that's from this movie. Gotcha. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of uh, references that there was plenty that I would think of, but like what mainly came to mind was Scary Movie and Family Guy, which I think <laughs> makes it that much tougher to like take the movie for what it is because like true, it's, it's Family Guy and Scary Movie, right? Um, but I think you're right, Freddie. I think it very much um, did seem more like a adventure with horror elements in there. I think if someone set the expectations for me correctly. Um, like if someone were to tell me, and this may not be the case because it probably wasn't aimed for children, but if someone said that this was a movie that you would typically watch at a younger age, maybe like junior high or something like that, or even younger, if you could stomach it as a kid. Um, and it was like the idea of look at this perspective of a family. Um, and it could be more relatable if you were a young child in a, in a kind of nuclear style family. And what if this happened to your home? Right. And, um, a lot of cliches I think came from this movie. Like, um, you know, they referenced, uh, ancient, uh, that ancient burial grounds. And that wasn't the case in this film, but, um, more so right. like, Oh, like how many times as a kid, at least this happened to me a lot, Freddie, how many times as a kid did like people like uh, rumor around and be like, oh, this place was built on an old cemetery, so it's haunted, right? So it feels like a lot of things like that came, came from this movie. this movie. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'm maybe I'm ignorant in saying that, but I think if the right expectations were placed for me, I would have enjoyed this movie a ton more. I went into it for some reason, and this is fault of my own and setting my own expectations thinking that i would be so scared from this movie i i don't know why i always right. thought and i i think i think there's a bias there because when i think of this movie i think of that clown doll um and um for me growing up dolls were one of the scariest things for me because of child's play i saw child's play when i was like maybe like five six years old and it messed me up for a long time um but I had my own expectations of what this movie was, and it clearly wasn't even trying to do that. So I, I think it's fault of my own that I didn't really enjoy it. Which is fine, because it's definitely, you know, it's an 80s horror movie. You're feeling 
vibes of Alien, you have The Thing, a bunch of 80s movies that we have seen, which are pretty terrifying. And then we get this type of movie where, yeah, I I would have to be completely honest. There was not one moment in this movie where I got scared. Yeah, I just felt more enjoyment rather than just being scared. That's a good point. But it's well, one of those I... things where it's like, it's not our typical movies that we've been watching during this whole entire uh, podcast, but it's a nice little change up too because I was cool with it. I was like, oh yeah, this is just like a, a fun adventure movie that has horror elements, which does a really good job when the horror does come. And I was talking about the the scene of one of the investigators when he looks in the mirror. I was like, damn, that's pretty solid. That's pretty good. <laughs> I but. do want to add that... Um... The special effects, even though they're, they are dated, didn't take it out of it for me. I actually uh, find it charming when we can look back at older films and they do have dated special effects. But I, I take it for what it is. Because um, I, I feel like some people could be listening and be like, oh, you're just not appreciating like for what it was at the time. I think it's just the acting overall. There were some moments where I was just chuckling and laughing and questioning like the acting choices and direction. Um but yeah, uh, like you said, um, I was expecting moments of being scared. I went in this thinking, all right, I'm ready to get spooked. Um, but it never came. And I did, I, it was a while until I realized, I'm like, oh, it's not going to come. That's true. I always thought the, polter, or like the Poltergeist mover, uh, movie is one of the scariest movies out there. And that's why it's popular. And then yeah, going I into so it, too. I was like, oh, this is not why it's popular at all. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's uh back then in the eighties it may not have been the case it may have been seen as very scary, um but I could imagine this was a lot more fun for a younger audience than an adult audience. Yeah, I can but see that. I'm sure many adults enjoyed it, um, but I think as far as it being scary, um, like I said, a younger audience would probably be more spooked from it. I completely agree with that. But let's let's dive into it. Let's get into it. Let's so, do it. Poltergeist, directed by Tobe Hooper, was released June 4th, 1982, so a little bit of a summer movie. Uh, has a runtime of one hour and 54 minutes. The budget was $10.7 million and actually got a box office of $77 million. Not so bad, not bad. Got its money. Yeah. Got its good stuff. And critics seem to like this movie. It's got a score of 85% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Oh, okay. Oh, not bad. Yeah. But jumping in, we open to the MGM title with the line roaring. And I just put here, it's like, I haven't seen that in such a long time. So it's kind of cool seeing it. <laughs> uh, we then begin to hear, uh, was it Star Spangled Banner uh, playing in the background? Uh, we are remaining with the opening title sequences as it continues. That's when we get our main title card, Poltergeist. Fade from black as the music continues, we open to a TV screen that has a bunch of, and it's like a close-up image of the TV screen, and we can't really see what's what we're really watching. We slowly zoom back, and we see that the soldier statue of holding up the flag is on the screen. That's when the camera still pulls back, and the TV is now in full static, and we see someone sleeping on a chair in the living room. There's also a golden retriever, which is very cute and very cuddly. And the camera pans to him going up the stairs. We cut back upstairs and see the dog is going into different bedrooms with the rest of the family sleeping. The dog goes into the boy's room and takes a bag of chips under his head, spilling a few chips along the way. 
The dog begins to eat the rest of the chips in the hallway and goes to the little girl's room, where she is asleep, and then the dog just leaves. She then wakes up and begins to go downstairs. We get this really cool tracking shot of her coming down and see the static lights reflecting off her coming from the TV. And I just put here the lighting and mood looks really good in this scene. I do have You're to agree with that. Like, yeah, you just see her walking down the stairs. We don't see anything else, but you just see the static and lights of the TV reflecting off her. It's like, nice little touch. Yeah, and I feel like that's what this movie is known for, and that has aged well. Like, it's it's um, it's executed very, very well. Um, and it, it does, like you said, set the mood perfectly. Right. They use a lot of great camera techniques in this movie. Uh, the cinematography is pretty well done in this. Um, of course, the special effects kind of tear it down a notch, but I was like, this movie looks good. <laughs> Uh, she stares at the static on the TV and begins to get closer. She sits down in front of the TV and begins to say, Hello? And what do you look like? Super creepy. Uh, that's when we cut to her dad, still sleeping on the chair close by. Then she says, Hey, I can't hear you. Saying it over and over again. That's when her mom upstairs begins to wake up and the rest of the, her family soon after. Everyone upstairs that were sleeping are now heading down the stairs to see what's going on. They all look at the youngest daughter staring at the TV filled with static. We get a close-up shot of her face and she begins to talk to the TV like she's responding to someone or something. <laughs> she says, yes, a few times, and I don't know, another few times. That's when she puts her hand to the screen and then we get a cut. And that's how we open the movie. How do you feel about stuff like that? I, I actually like it was a strong opening. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I do think it was a strong opening. It does play on that sense of kids can be creepy, and a lot of people think that uh, children are have a closer uh, connection to the other side. And I actually like how they play on that. They it's it's funny that uh, Carol Ann is so cute because that's what makes it even creepier that she's speaking to someone. Um, so I, I think it was. It was a very strong opening. Right. And it got you feel me like the innocence of a child being interacted with something exactly. from the other side. It's just not, super creepy about that. It's not knowing what it is and also like um seeming as it's uh the child could be taken advantage of, right? Um but I think when I saw this opening because it was so strong, I'm like, oh, it's only going to go up from here, but I I think this is one of the movie's strongest points. That's true. I feel like it does start off strong and then it has a little bit more pacing issues throughout the film. But I feel like it gets back on track after a while. And then kind of like I was saying, like it becomes a little goofy, a little bit childish, but that's kind of like Steven Spielberg's little flair of like the dialogue of what the characters do. And they're just like laughing for no reason. But we'll, we'll get into that and stuff like yeah. that. And I do have a, a, a conspiracy theory on that too. But uh, all right, It's just more of an observation. It's like, hmm. But we'll get to it. Put my uh, we are now hat outside on. during the... Sorry, what was that? I was going to say, I'll put my tinfoil hat on. <laughs> uh, we are now outside during the day as we pan over a suburban neighborhood. We get these nice cuts of the town and nice soft music as the rest of the opening credits begin to roll. We see a bunch of families and kids and just pretty much everyone around the city. Uh, and, then, and then we begin to follow a guy dressed in green riding a bike down the street. We see these kids with some RC cars begin to chase him with it and making him crash and dropping all of his stuff, a.k.a. the beer. 
The kids begin to laugh. He yells, get her in focus, boys, here I come, and heads into the house. The Freelean household, and you can tell by the mailbox that has the Freelean sign on there. He yells, open up, and then heads to the side door into the kitchen. We see Dana, the oldest daughter, in there, and he quickly apologizes as he goes into the next room. He makes it to the living room and sees a bunch of the dudes watching a football game asking what happened. At this point, the beer is still spilling all over the place, and it's very comedic. Is this where, like, it kind of started to lose you? Um, it was... I, I I just think it was unnecessary, if I'll be honest. Uh, I feel bad because I don't want to rag on this movie. I really wanted to like it. Yeah, but, go for it. I'll protect um, the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> so I'm really happy that you uh, enjoyed it, Freddie, because I was thinking as I was watching, I was like, man, I hope it's not... I hope Freddie feels differently than I do because I don't want us to both be ragging on this because I know this this movie is very well loved. But at this point, I, oh, for sure. yeah, I yeah. was like, mm, it just... I didn't see any point to it. It did seem comedic, but this is me with the expectation of like, I thought this was supposed to be like some like really scary movie. And this is seeming kind of just whimsical or childish to me, not childish, sorry, but like more humor focused. And I, it it just kind of felt off from my expectations. Right. It's not, it's something you weren't expecting because of what poltergeist is to you going into the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's my fault. Yeah. That's my fault. And I feel like, I did a little bit of research before watching this movie. And then right when I found out that this is a Steven Spielberg film and I started watching these scenes like develop, I was like, oh, this makes sense. This is a very like E.T. type of family where it's like Mm -hmm. they're all just having fun. It's a very goofy movie. So I was like, I'm enjoying this. That's like a very comedic moment. It's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't care that the beer is still spilling all over the place. He's just there for the game. And then we get this nice little back and forth with the neighbor later on. But I was like, cool. At this point, I was kind of like in with this movie. I was like, this is very different. This is very hear. far from what we're normal watch is. That's good like, to hear. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm like... really happy that you feel that way. I'm excited to hear your perspective. Yeah, it's just like, I like fun movies. And I, I don't get me wrong. We love our horror movies, obviously, with this podcast. It's a nice uh, change of pace when we get a little bit of happy, heartfelt moments that are like goofy and stupid and comedic inside horror films yeah because i no. feel like this movie blends it well i totally agree with you i can see I, this could be a turnoff too no yeah I, I again and i think it's just expectations being set and um you were like you said you were able to do a little research beforehand i went in blind and um like i said i keep repeating myself but my expectations were uh misplaced no i mean rightfully so because going into it before I did my research, I thought this was going to be the scariest movie out there. Poltergeist. <laughs> okay. I've heard of this movie. It's one of the best horror movies. And then I was like, oh, this is definitely something different than what yeah. I thought. But yes, as we continue. So the boys in the living room, they all cheer as they watch the game. We cut to Diane, the mother, in one of the kids' room and knocks over some skates. She looks into a cage and sees their pet bird, Tweety, is dead inside. Very sad. She is sad, but also makes the joke that, hey, couldn't you have waited for a school day? (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) That is funny. Uh, Back with the boys, we see the football game get interrupted by Mr. Rogers. Steve, the father, explains that his neighbor uses the same remote to his TV and must have changed it. Then we get this fun scene of him and his neighbor arguing about the situation outside between the fences. 
uh, they begin to start a remote a remote control war, changing the channel back and forth while the rest of the boys are going nuts trying to watch the football game. Uh, and this is did what, this uh, take you a while? Yeah, this is earlier when I was uh, speaking on this moment being a little too comedic for me. This was the moment I was thinking about. That moment where they're looking um, at each other across their windows yeah. and just like hitting the remote back and forth. I'm like, oh, this is this is not what I thought was uh this is not what i expected but that's what i that's was so mentioning funny. earlier yeah and here in my notes i put great seed <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> uh, we continue uh back with diane she has the dead bird in her hand and heads for the bathroom or she has the dead bird in her hand and heads for the bathroom she begins to flush the toilet and is about to drop tweety to his doom but Would that's when she anyone? gets caught by carol ann would Sorry, anyone flush a bird down a toilet? Like when I, I don't saw think this, so. I was like, "What is Obviously, happening?" Maybe the goldfish, but that's still a little dark. But that's just me. I mean, yeah, Bury goldfish your pet animals, please. That goldfish, that's normal. But a a bird down a toilet? What is this woman thinking? <laughs> but yeah, she gets caught. Carol Ann, the youngest daughter, uh, gets one big gasp, and then we cut outside. <gasps> uh, so such a fun scene. Uh, we are now with Robbie in the backyard, the youngest son. He starts climbing a tree. Then we are back with Diane and Carol, and again, as they are in the kitchen, laying Tweety to rest in a lunchbox. She puts in a picture of the family, a blanket, and a rose. Then back with Robbie, we see him looking out in the distance, and some storm clouds are approaching. Then we are back with the mother and daughter, burying Tweety. Joining them is their eldest, Dana. Carol Ann says the Lord's Prayer as they put Tweety to rest. Robbie, staring from afar, tells them quickly to, uh, can we uh, dig it up and see the bones? <laughs> I was like, dang, it's a little dark. Uh, but that's when we hear Diane uh, quickly tells him to come down from the tree. And that's when we hear Carol Ann says if, we can, if she can have some goldfish now. <clears throat> she moves on pretty quick. Yeah, it just shows how young she is, right? Her attention span's really short. Right, and this is a good point where like she doesn't really understand what death is or yeah. someone who has died or anything like that too. But it's a good contrast of what's yet to come. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very interesting scene. Like you said, we went from a great setup being like a complete horror movie to a complete comedy movie, the scene right after. It's kind of weird. I will admit that though. <laughs> Uh, we are introduced to a new scene, and we are outside of the house, but it's nighttime. We see a little flash of lightning, and we cut to... Ooh, I don't know what I put here with Carol Ann. We see that she has some goldfish now. Uh, we see Robbie go to the window and see some thunderstorms coming in, and a creepy tree he was climbing in earlier. Diane sees Carol Ann overfeeding the goldfish and says, if she overfeeds them, they will become sharks. Which I thought was like a cute little scene. <laughs> I will say this, the dynamic with all the characters, like, they seem like a really good family, a very good functional family, which is nice. That's interesting that you say that because I also have a contrasting opinion. Um, at, oh, interesting. It, it very much, like, for example, the comment of, um, like, oh, can we dig it up and see its bones and all that? Like, I understand siblings will be siblings, but it kind of felt... Um, <laughs> It didn't feel fitting into the scene. Like, it's like, it just seems like it's being said to be said. Um, and 
little after this, I feel like the relationship with um, the mother and father is a little... It feels forced to me. I don't know. I don't want to be hating this on this movie, but it just... Interesting. It, it didn't click for me. No, that's that's good that you have that perspective because yeah, I got literally the opposite. It's like, oh, they love their kids. Everyone gets along. The brother's always ragging on her little sister like brothers and sisters do, but it's like normal... So that's interesting. I'm glad you have this perspective. This could be a good insight for this podcast. People listening, please don't hate me. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, no one can hate you. Um, I beg to differ. They're all about to go. (laughs) They're all about to go to bed as she begins to turn off the lights. Carol says the closet lights needs to be turned on, and so she does. They all say goodnight, and Diane closes the door behind her. That's when we see Diane and Steve watching TV in their room. Diane explains that she slept walk four blocks before and slept in some guy's car. That the guy even drove to work and she woke up screaming. And they ended up taking that guy downtown. She then explains what happens if Carol Ann sleepwalks and falls into the pool they plan on digging up. And this is where there's a funny moment where he's like, Oh, can you roll this up? Now, my conspiracy is because they do end up being very goofy and laughing all the time. Do you think this is a cigarette or something else? Oh, no. It's definitely the ganju, right? Like, <laughs> I totally thought that. I am and, surprised. It had um, to be. I was like, these guys were smoking weed. No, yeah. <laughs> later on, they uh, they go to their neighbors, and I'm just like, dude, are they high right now? They're just laughing for no reason. They have to be. Yeah. I was like, and, this, um, <laughs> this movie went there. I was like, I did, I'm surprised this isn't a Steven Spielberg film. Because I was like, these guys don't act... Like, I mean, they act they, a certain way. They don't seem like it. the type to be uh, yeah. rolling up a joint at night after they put their kids to bed because it's just like a white nuclear family, right? Right. I, I don't know. what. Yeah, it just seems very funny. And I was like, cool. It just adds to the comedic relief, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Steve explains that it's a three-meter pool that she'll be fine. He then jumps on the bed and starts playing around about him diving into the bed. Then jumps off the bed in front of a mirror, pretending to be skinny and fat, back and forth, saying before and after. And I was like, this is a very awesome scene. <laughs> I think it was very funny. And I just put here conspiracy theory. What are they rolling up? Cigarette or something else? <laughs> they seem very goofy. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. No I think you nailed it. Uh, we cut to Robbie, still awake, looking outside, very scared. Then we cut to Carol Ann, staying in, uh, staring at her goldfish. Then we see him staring at this creepy clown that's sitting on his chair. He does a finger gun motion to it and pretends to shoot it. Then we get this close-up shot of the clown. And it just continues very creepy. Uh, Robbie gets up and puts a jacket over him and runs back to bed. And it's a really cool jacket. It has Chewbacca on it. So, it is pretty dope. cool. There's a lot, uh, of, uh, of- a lot of Star Wars uh, toys and props in this movie. Oh, for sure. There's actually a lot of pop culture stuff in this movie. Yeah. In general. And we'll talk about some of the fun facts that I have for us. But it's interesting how Steven Spielberg kind of like put some stuff in there to give a little homage, which is <laughs> cool. I love when directors do that, where they gave little Easter eggs throughout it. Yeah. Uh, back with Diane and Steve, we see them still playing around. That's when Robbie comes into the room and says the storm is getting closer and says the thunder is scaring him. Steve gives him a piggyback ride back to his room and hangs with him for a bit. Robbie says that he doesn't like the tree outside. 
Steve says there's that tree is there to protect them. He then says that the storm is going to pass, and he asks, "How do you know?" He says because he knows how to count on between the lightning and the thunder. The higher the number, the better, and the higher it goes, the further away the storm will go as well. That's when they start testing out this theory, but the number actually lowered this time. That's when Steve tells Robbie, "Well, I bet you next time will be longer." So it's like that's funny. It's a good moment. You know, it's funny. I when I heard this, I'm like, I'm gonna try that. We just had thunderstorms like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I don't want another one to happen now, so I could test it. <laughs> it's funny. I've heard this theory before too. Before yeah. watching this movie, that's so funny. it might be a real thing. So I wonder. Let us or, know on Twitter if that's a real thing because yeah. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> uh, Carol Ann get, then gets her play phone and rings it and tells her dad it's for him he says you tell them to take a message sweet pea she relays the message back he says goodnight to him and wishes them happy dreams that's one before he leaves we hear Robbie start counting as Steve leaves uh, the thunder count is even lower this time we hear Dana on the phone and he opens the door telling her goodnight then he closes it then he quickly reopens it and says, get off the phone. They closes the door again. And it's pretty much kind of a funny scene because she looks like a deer in the headlights getting caught, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Nice little cute moments. And as I'm talking about how cute this movie is and how funny it is, you're D- David, you're probably like, I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, I don't hate it. I want it. the spoops. Give I don't the hate spoops. it. I just, at this point, I'm just sitting around waiting for something to happen. I'm like, all right, it's coming any minute That's now. Funny. You know? And you're just waiting, waiting. Yeah. And some stuff happens, and then waiting. But, yeah. I think it's playful. Uh, we cut back to the kids' room, and they are still counting, and it's longer this time. But then several lightning strikes happen at once. As soon as it stops, we cut to the camera, and all of the younger kids are inside their parents' bed. We hear <laughs> the Star Spangled Banner music as the camera pans away from the family showing the entire room. The camera then gets closer to the TV, showing the same images we saw before in the opening sequence. Then we get static. Carol Ann wakes up and begins to look at the TV. She moves closer to it, and then we get this eerie music playing in the background. She sits down in front of the TV, and we see sparkles coming from it. That's when we see a ghostly arm go towards her. We continue to see this ghostly fog coming from the TV at this point as well. It moves all over the room, and that's when we get this super aggressive shake from the entire bedroom. And I just put here to kind of like uh, describe it. I put like it's a ghost stream that like hits the wall and pretty much everything starts shaking. Uh, It wakes up the family and gets the famous line from Carol Ann. They're here. I thought it's Stewie Griffin when she said that, so it immediately took me out of the moment. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I think that maybe hurt this movie for you. It did because I watched Signs the other day, uh-huh. and Signs was unbearable, and I just kept on <laughs> laughing because of scary movie. See, that's really Even funny. Though it's a good movie. I, I think I think again, like I said in the beginning of the episode. Uh, context of when you watch this is very important because I understand that there may be people that love this movie because they saw it, you know, before pop culture kind of did what it did with it or many other movies. Um, 
Because with Signs, I remember watching Signs when it first came out. Uh, like when it first came to DVD or VHS, whatever. And uh, being so scared halfway through the movie that I had to like run out of the room. <laughs> but I was a lot younger, right? And also like um, I didn't have any reference to what that movie was through pop culture. Um, and in reflection to that, you just said you saw Signs and you're like, dude, this is a joke. Yeah, I couldn't stop laughing, which is funny. It's mostly because I kept on getting flashbacks of Scary Movie, yeah. which pretty much almost does scene by scene of this movie. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, I couldn't not, not see it. Like, And I get it that. It's hilarious. I get that because that's how I felt about this movie, which I, I'm sad is the case. Yeah. But hey, uh, I, I still enjoyed it. But I think that may have been the main reason why you might have not liked it. Or yeah. I do agree to the point that it's like it's more comedic and action adventure than it is horror and just expecting something scary to happen. It can take away from the movie for sure, too. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, We open to the next scene of them digging in the backyard for the pool. We hear Steve on the phone talking to someone about the earthquake and that there's no news about it. The rest of the family is just eating breakfast. Diane asked Carol Ann what she meant about last night. And she said the TV people. Steve heads out to work and we see Carol Ann begin to watch the TV in the kitchen, but on a channel that's just static. We see Robbie looking at his fork and it's completely bent, then his spoon and it's the same. We see Dana outside about to back to, uh, back to school and we all see the construction guys working on the pool begin to catcall her and she begins to flip them off, which is good for her. I thought this I was, was like, so weird. Yeah. I thought it was, it was so oh, weird yeah. that her mom was watching her and just like, <laughs> oh, those construction men flirting with my underage daughter that right. I'm She's paying 16. for them to work. Yeah. And I, and this was gross. Like, I, I know this is very <laughs> grossing. I know we have become a lot more progressive as the passing decades have gone by. But it's just like the fact that her mom just like laughs it off afterwards. It's just it's just gross to me. I don't know. I didn't like this. Well, from this scene, which is yeah, a terrible scene that this is even in the movie, does not age well. Um, it's there for comedic relief just to see her flip them off and stuff like that and show yeah. that she's being above it. Um, I think I just, with at least Diane looking from the kitchen window, she's just proud of her daughter the way she reacted. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you're That's totally right. I, I, I should uh, also add that as well because I think that is the case. I think she is like a lot laughing that off that she was like she can handle herself uh but i just like to point out like damn we've we've come a long way because behavior like that was kind of like normalized back then i'm kind of glad that it's not because i think to to everyone else it's like in a real life scenario right i know this is a film and you can um whoever makes a movie can paint the, paint the intentions of uh, characters however way they want but i think in a real life scenario like i think it's very normalized for uh like older men to um, be predatory around younger women and this normalizes it. So it, it's kind of going too deep on it, but yeah, I'm right, just glad that we've come a long and, way. Yeah. And suddenly, yeah, it still happens, which it's tragic, but I'm happy. Yeah. It's been better and it's been portrayed a lot better in film too. Uh, like this, like I said, the, this scene specifically doesn't age well, but at least it gives a little bit of a victory of her reacting the way she did and standing up for herself and not letting them like keep doing it and then walking off or something like that. Good point. So I'm happy at least she reacted the way she reacted and then her mom kind of like 
like that reaction. Yeah. So I was like, okay. But yeah, it was, it was a really off scene. I would say probably the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, she begins, uh, so Diane's in the kitchen, sees it, and is proud of her daughter. She begins to clear out the table and notices that she's, uh, notices Carol Ann is staring at the static and changes the channel, saying that's going to be bad for your eyes. We begin to hear the dog bark at the wall behind the bed where the ghost beam hit, and it's super weird. Diane is very confused by the whole thing and heads to the kitchen. We see one of the construction guys through the kitchen window eating their breakfast and drinking their coffee. She asks, how is it? And then takes the coffee cup away from him and lowers the blinds on him. That's when she looks at the table and all of the chairs are spaced out on the floor. She gets startled by Carol Ann and she asks if she did this. She pushes the chairs in and says that I always ask you guys to push in the chairs. Then we see her go under the sink and comes back and all of the chairs have been stacked up on each other on top of the kitchen table. What did you think about this scene? I actually really like this. I thought it was a really cool moment and I was excited when I saw this because I'm like, okay, yeah, let's let's pick it up because I've been waiting for it, right? Um, right. And I love that it's like uh, intrinsically designed like a pyramid. It's very thoughtfully like stacked in an artistic notion and I was like, that's cool because it's it's clearly, I looked away for a couple seconds, looked back and my kid definitely couldn't have done this Uh so I thought it was really cool. And I, I like how whatever is doing this is like, I'm messing with you. Look at how easily I can mess with you without you even knowing it. Exactly. And like you said, it's seconds. It's like really quick. And it's like so artistically crafted of a pyramid of chairs on top of the table. And it's like, damn, that's pretty intense. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, it is really so, cool. I really liked it. It was a really uh, fun moment. Again, didn't really scare me. I was more impressed. But at the same time, like you were saying, like, oh, cool. This is where stuff are starting to escalate. And, of course, this happens after them digging up the pool, which I think is the cause of everything. But that's another thing. Yeah. Uh, she looks at Carol Ann and questioned TV people. And she responds, uh-huh. <laughs> which I thought was very cute. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, then ask, <laughs> then ask if she... She sees them and she says no. And then she asks the same question back at her mom and she says, uh-uh, as well. Uh, we get this sort of flashback now of Steve talking to a couple about the house. He explains that the house is going to be looking amazing. And it seems to me that he's trying to sell this house at this point. I wasn't 100% sure what the scene really was, but that was pretty much it. Uh, we open to a new scene of Steve coming back from the house and we see Diane grab him and pull him inside. He brings him, uh, she brings him to the kitchen and tells him that something is going on and to have an open mind. Carol Ann walks into the room and says, Mom didn't cook any dinner. And she just says, we'll just get Pizza Hut. And I just put here, that's some solid good product placement. I know, right? But also Bye. like, yeah, Bye. I'm never going to say no to pizza instead of home cooked dinner. Actually, that's not true. But um, you, can't, you can't argue against pizza. Right. Pizza Hut's a pretty solid choice, dude. But I was like, Jesus they stuff. definitely helped pay for some of the expense of this movie. Very nice. <laughs> you think so? I mean, they got it, right? Sometimes. It depends yeah. on the like product placement. If it's very director's choice or they actually made a deal with them to actually put in the movie. Yeah. But uh, she is super excited to show him what's going to happen. Tells him to just look and watch. We see that there is a chair in the middle of the room with a circle around it. 
Then we zoom out and see some lines and some arrows on the ground. He begins to start looking at the chair and it begins to rattle. He's super shocked and then we see the chair move across the room ending in another drawn circle. How'd you feel seeing that for the first time? I was blown away. I was like, that's cool. Yeah, I was actually uh I was actually really enjoying it at this point um because it felt like a build up that it was going to continue to escalate from here. Right. It just uh, like it's it's one of those things like you can't really explain it, but you're kind of having fun with the characters also not being able to explain it, but they're just having fun doing it. Yeah, totally. And this where I kept the tone at like, oh, this is very like Goonies, E.T. like type vibe where it's just like a family discovering things. Yeah. Like I said, there's not a real spooky moment, but it's kind of like, oh, that's cool. Nice. Uh, Diane begins to cheer as Steve grabs his head in shock. Carol Ann just yawns. And he goes towards the chair to check it out. That's when we see the background. Diane is putting a helmet on Carol Ann and tells her to sit in the circle. She then proceeds to slide across the room and her dad catches her on the other side. Carol Ann says, ah, that burned. And her mom apologizes. She wants him to try it out now and he's still in shock. She explains it's like a tickling. And that tickling pulls you, and that there's no air, but you can still breathe. And that's like a really cool moment that she was able to describe the feeling because I was like, oh, I can kind of sense of how that would feel. So I love when they actually use dialogue to help understand what's really going on in the film, which is cool. I think it is cool. Um, uh, and I guess this is we're just gonna have contrasting opinions this whole time. I'm also wondering why she's not kind of freaked out by it, and she's kind of so like, check this out. And so, like, open to it, exploring it, whereas I would think that regularly most people would be terrified about seeing this. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I feel like that's just something I expect out of, like, Steven Spielberg films. Yeah, that's very true. But at the same time, it's like, yes, any other occasion in an actual horror movie that we've seen plenty of this would be a very scary moment for most families dealing with something like this. And this movie doesn't treat it that way. The characters don't react the way most horror movie tropes would actually react. I would mm-hmm. say for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Because there are some crazy stuff that happens in this house and they're just like, yep, that that's pretty much cool. Or yeah, they just play it off, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's one. Yeah, this is where it, it kind of lost me in this scene a little bit, just because it was. I was like, these guys are definitely high, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, the next scene after uh, this, right? Right. So that's when we get a cut to them going to their neighbor's house. Mister Tahill answers the door and immediately starts saying that they are not watching any TV. So if they have any problem, it's their TV set. Steve explains it's nothing like that. Then they're just like looking around, which is really funny, and they're like. He says that there are mosquitoes, and they're just chowing down on him. Mr. Tillhill starts this weird conversation, too, about, oh, they've never bothered me. They've never bitten me or my whole entire family. Even asks his son next to him, and the son says, I don't know, Dad. He just relays the message to Diane and Steve. He's like, he doesn't know. <laughs> and they just both smile and laugh. I was like, yeah. what is this scene? Are they all high? It, and uh, it's it, it feels a little off, and I was just I was just sitting there like, are these motherfuckers high? Like, <laughs> but it didn't. I don't know. This is where I, I have those moments of like, I don't think the acting is executed well because it just feels weird. 
I think it wasn't really the acting. It's just the script, I think. Yeah. This is what they wanted from the characters. They wanted them to be very bubbly, very happy, kind of like a fool. But I, I think something they're like activity wise that they're doing is causing them to act a certain way. Yeah. We'll say. Then they say that they were wondering if he has been experiencing any disturbances since something funny is happening at their place. He asks, like what? And Diane just says, dishes and furniture moving around. And that's when Mr. Tohill just looks at them weirdly, and then we cut back to them in the bathroom cleaning up uh, Steve's shaved face. Which is another weird moment. It's like we just transitioned to the bathroom, and I guess Steve just decided to shave right after that conversation. And they're just well, I, them up. I thought so, after they go to the bathroom, it's because they were at the neighbors and the mosquitoes kept biting them. And, that's right. Okay, no, yeah. no, you're right, right, right. I thought they were shaving. They were putting ointment on his mosquito bites. Yeah, they're like bug cream. That's funny. Okay. Just another like comedic moment, I guess. Yeah. Um, Diane explains that she has been looking up in the yellow pages for strange phenomenon and there's no listing. We see the kids' room now and we hear Robbie counting the thunderstrikes again. Diane explains how unexplained, how everything is unexplained and everything that's happening. And Steve says no one is going to the kitchen until they find out what's going on. We cut back to Robbie and he continues to count faster and faster as the thunderstrikes fa- become faster and faster as well. We then see there's a lightning strike right outside of his window and the tree comes crashing in as he begins to scream. We see the tree brands come in and grab Robbie. The parents come rushing in and see Robbie being grabbed from the tree and get pulled outside and the blinds closing behind him. They all run downstairs and Steve opens a window but the tree branch pushes it closed. We cut to Carol Ann in the bedroom upstairs still in the still there and the closet door begins to open with a bright light coming from it. We start to see some of her toys getting drawn into her closet. She yells for her mom and we cut to her parents outside now. We see that there's a storm that has gotten worse and that there's even a tornado. We cut back to Carol Ann and it seems like her closet is sucking all of her things in now. It begins to become more powerful and she starts to hold on to her bed frame as she doesn't know uh, doesn't want to get sucked into the closet as well. At this moment, she is constantly screaming for her mom. And I just put here, like, this is a very sad moment. Uh, the toy clown flies into the closet and we cut back outside. We see Steve in, uh, Steve uh, starting to climb up the tree to get Robbie, but the tree seems to be consuming him at this point. We hear Diane telling him to hurry and Robbie saying, it's taking me and it's hurting me. Back with Carol Ann, we see that she's holding for dear life on her bed frame and eventually breaks and it flies her into the closet, into the light, and the bed soon follows her soon after. Man, what were you thinking during this scene? Because it's a lot of uh, back and forth, but this is where it's like, there's a lot of horror elements into this. Yeah. So sadly with the tree portion, I couldn't stop thinking about Scary Movie <laughs> um, because this happens in Scary Movie as well um, or something uh, along the lines of the tree. Um, but I, I think it was gotcha. cool that um, we had Carol Ann, Carol Ann grabbing for life, um, you know, avoiding getting sucked into the closet, into the light. Um, it's kind of funny, though, because some scenes it'll look very realistic and some scenes <laughs> you can see her just like holding the, the bed frame while her like legs are on the bed so she's not floating anymore. Um, but I like the overall idea of what's happening. I think it's really cool. Um, I think it's just limited from... 
um, when the movie was made um, from, you know, looking realistic in today's standards of 2020. Um, right. But I think the idea of like everything getting sucked into the closet um, is so cool to me. And it's also super gnarly um, that the tree was trying to eat. Um, right. What's the super son's dark. name? Yeah. Robbie. Robbie, yeah. Because uh, when when Robbie was grabbed from his bedroom from the closet, I'm like, oh, damn. But then I, like I said, I remember the scene from Scary Movie, so it kind of um, just made it funny for me. But when he was actually getting eaten by the tree, I was like, oh, dang, that's pretty, that's pretty sick. Right, because you just see, like, a child, a little human being, being consumed by a freaking tree. It's dark. It, yeah. It's like, what is happening? Like, what am I watching? And also and the tree she, itself. Like, this? this is a PG movie. Yeah. The tree itself will look scary, right? Robbie even earlier on talks about how the tree scares him and how it feels like it knows what he's his life is about. Um, so right. it already we already have context of the tree being like suspicious. Um, so <laughs> I like that we did have that moment build up to the tree going like, yeah, screw this. I'm just going to eat this kid. <laughs> Right, it's very interesting too because like the um, was it Steve the dad says like oh it's there to protect you, uh, <laughs> nope you are wrong <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, we cut to outside and Steve was able to grab Robbie out of the tree with the tornado close by the tree comes off the ground and starts to get drawn into the tornado itself. We see a tree branch try to grab Robbie's leg, but then it gives way and he luckily gets free. The tree flies into the tornado, and the tornado dissolves in the distance, and Dana comes out saying she left Carol Ann upstairs. They all begin to run up to go check on her. The parents start searching in the closet for her and find a body under a blanket. They think the worst thing happened, but that's when they pull the blanket off and realize it's just a freaking clown. <laughs> Diane laughs and is relieved. Dana says she'll check the kitchen, but Steve quickly says no and says he will, that she should go check her room instead. They all run out of the bedroom, and Robbie stays looking like he's in shock, and he sees a toy robot on the ground moving and laughing. We see the whole family look for Carol Ann all over the house. We see Diane in her bedroom, and Steve comes in and asks if he found her. He says no. That's when an idea comes to her head, and she starts screaming, the swimming pool over and over again they all rush outside and steve jumps into the hole where the swimming pool is being dug up into the rainwater we cut to robbie in his parents room we get a quick uh cut back to steve diving underwater looking for his daughter we cut back to robbie and we hear carol Ann's voice it sounds very distorted at this point we have this awesome close-up shot of robbie in his face being covered in mud and blood he looks shocked as he continues to hear her sister asking for her mommy. Then we cut back to Steve finding nothing in the pool. He continues to dive and we see Steve pop out and look up. Back, where Robbie, uh, back with Robbie, he is super scared and starts to scream for his mom and Diane makes it up to him. She hears Carol Ann's voice asking for her mommy and she says, Oh, Carol Ann, thank God. She looks around and asks where she is. Robbie asks to come over here in a panic in front of the TV, that, uh, in front of the TV which now has static. She goes over and asks what's going on. He starts screaming Carol Ann's name, and we hear Carol Ann say, "I can't see you," 
and where are you coming? Uh, or where are you coming from the TV with static? Diane slowly looks over and then realizes it. As we continue to hear her asking for her mom and where she is, Diane raises her hand in fear and touches the TV and some static electricity comes off it, ending the scene. Yeah. I thought this was a good touch. That, that Yeah, it was, um, especially for a mother, right? Because it's like, where's my daughter? And then hearing her voice and feeling this sense of relief, but then also quickly realizing she's not actually there. Um, and your son is also just spazzing out and freaking out. And you have that moment of realization that something's still wrong. So it's a good moment. I uh, I think it's... I, I'm glad that it's uh, just Carol Ann's voice and that we didn't like see her through the TV or anything. Because um, right. I think that would have taken away from the moment. Um, but it's just like... Carol Ann's faintly there. Like she's kind of still grasping onto that that dimension, so to speak. Um, so I think it was a cool scene. Right. It's a nice touch too with the sound mixing of her voice being a little bit distorted, but still that innocent voice coming through the TV as well. Yeah. Because it really culture. just grounds the scene. Yeah, pop culture did again. Like I, I feel bad that I keep saying this, but pop culture has <laughs> taken this moment away from me because I think a family guy because they did do an episode where uh, Stewie is stuck in the TV or something and same exact voice effects are in play there. Damn. Yeah. I guess timing is everything is especially for these like iconic horror movies or just pop culture movies in general, which has a big cult following is that there's a lot of parodies. There's a lot of references uh, gets quoted. There's, memorabilia there's like toys there's a bunch of stuff that can just reveal so much stuff nowadays totally. yeah especially being in this modern era it's definitely tough to not go into a movie completely blind when revisiting a classic horror movie yeah but it is what it is <laughs> uh the new scene opens up at a school a university we see that steve is in the room surrounded by three people a lady across from him asks how many people are in the household have been infected, or not infected, affected. Uh, he starts to name off everyone and their age. The lady asks if there has been any publicity of the events, and Steve says no, that's the last thing he wants. Uh, they ha- they, that they haven't had, they didn't even call the police. She then asks if the family will welcome someone who can make a first-hand observation of the disturbances. He says that he doesn't care, that he just wants her to find her little girl. And I felt that was a nice little heartfelt moment. Yeah, like at this he- moment, you can see that um, that Steve's eyes are really dark. He has like eye bags and he it looks like he hasn't slept. He looks like he's just been like Perfect. in his yeah. thoughts. Um, it's a really, really good touch. I was going to bring that up. It was like the visual of his face tells like a great story of yeah he hasn't been sleeping he's like over worried he looks like a mess yeah he does uh we cut back to the family back at the house with the investigators now the main investigator asks how many disturbances has there been in this room that's when steve says we don't even stay in that room also tells her that robbie sleeps with them now and dana usually goes with her friends she explains that the person they are working with has a photograph. Oh, no. She explains that the other investigator that they're working with photographed something very amazing. 
a toy that moved across a room over a seven-hour span that he did over a time lapse. Steve is not impressed by any chance and begins to open the door to that room. And when they enter that room, we see that there is a huge amount of paranormal activity. You got a floating bed. You got a lamp levitating and turning itself back on. <laughs> a toy horse with a guy floating on it or like moving on it on its own. <laughs> uh, this is where we can see the special effects are for sure dated. But it was kind of cool watching it because it has like so much stuff going on, I guess. How did you get how did you feel about this scene? Checking everything yeah. out. I mean, yeah, it is dated, but I think it, it executes the idea really well. I think it does look really creepy and it's actually really still cool to look at. I mean, I think the best touch is having the clown doll on the bed and the bed is just twirling around in a circle. Um, right. Super and creepy. And that seemed like it was practical. Um, you had items flying up to the the guest face. Uh, the guest's face, but um, and that's where it kind of looks like uh, it's just been sized <laughs> really down bad. to make it look like it is a 3D effect. Uh, but other than that, I actually like the scene. I, I think it's cool to see because it's uh, I think it's helpful for the overall narrative and the story because um, it it builds this context of how fucked up this house is right now. Oh, for sure, it shows the paranormal activity is not shy of showing anybody what it can do. Yep, it shows how exactly. powerful the activity is, too. Yep, that yep. This is for sure, like they talk about later on, we'll get too into it, but uh, it's not really a haunting. It is a straight-up poltergeist, um, really noisy ghost, which is what they explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we even see a protractor spinning a vinyl playing music, which I feel like was a nice little touch. Yeah, that was cool. Which is <laughs> kind of cool. I think it was like uh, I, I, on a a protractor was also on top of it as well, which is funny. Right. It's stuff like the kids would have in the room, which yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I even put here, it's like, it's a little dated, but it's a fun scene to watch. <laughs> uh, but that puts all the investigators in the shock and we cut back to them downstairs and we see one of them still shaking from the experience. Diane asks what she thinks of the investigation. The investigator explains that they see their house is haunted or the investigator explains that to see that their house is haunted is not an easy thing to determine. And right when she says that, the tea kettle moves across the table. Then that's when she says, what I meant to say is it might very well be a poltergeist intrusion instead of a classic haunting. That's when the light begins to flicker and Diane just tells the other guys like, don't worry, it's going to happen two more times in a few seconds. And then it does. <laughs> Yeah. Just like a nice little touch. Uh, the other investigator says it's electrical, and you can even smell the charge in the air. Poltergeists seem to be connected with a person. That this could end at any time, but if it's a haunting, it could last a lot longer. But haunting usually doesn't interact with the living people. Diane explains that her daughter is alive somewhere in the house. That's when we cut to them in the living room and says that it may sound strange, but it works better on this channel as she puts on the TV with some static. Then she goes over to Steve and says to the group, I guess I will call her. She calls for her daughter's name and that's, and that's, uh, and that mommy wants to talk to her. She says, please answer me a few times. We see the dog come into the room and raise himself up looking at the ceiling. This was a very interesting moment because we see the dog do that a couple times where it just raises on its hind legs and kind of like look up. It's very interesting. 
it's nice little touch notes because it's kind of a little disturbing. Yeah, I, I think I it's good. I think um, I actually like that, and we've. I feel like we see that a lot in film um, when it comes to you know animals being around anything supernatural. It's trying to emphasize that they have uh, stronger senses and maybe additional senses than uh, humans do, and it's it's trying to portray to the audience that there's something here, and the dog knows, but um, its senses are so strong that's why it could detect it. So I actually like that a lot. Yeah, I I do feel like. In a lot of these movies, animals, or even for like natural disasters, animals always know when something's about to happen, which is very interesting. I like that. Yeah. I love that concept in general. And I feel like that might be a real thing. So I'm always like looking at my dog if this can be an earthquake or something. <laughs> uh, Diane asks, can you say hello to daddy? And that's when we hear her voice saying, hello, daddy. Steve gets up and gets closer and says, hello, sweet pea. Diane smiles and says it's mommy, and she responds, hello. She then asks if she can see her, and then she responds, where are you, a few times. Diane responds that they are home, and you can find your way back to her. Uh, She said that she can't see her, and that she's afraid of the light. The main investigator says, tell her to stay away from the light. Diane says, maybe it's a way out. She responds, that's a way out, but not for her. Then she tells her quickly. Diane tells Carol Ann to stay away from the light and to not go near it. That's when a huge light appears above them on the ceiling. We see a bunch of jewelry begin to fall to the ground and Steve asks, what the hell is this? Then Carol Ann says, mommy, someone's here. She asks if that's her. Steve says, no, it's not mommy. Diane asks, who is it? Carol Ann says it's coming and, and sounds very panicked at this moment. That's when Diane really comes into place of like how much she cares. Says, you bastard, she's just a baby. That's like, damn, <laughs> very powerful line. First time we heard some swearing in here too for a PG movie. I don't, I, it's, it's, the acting in this just doesn't do it for me, Freddie. It's, it all just seems a little frantic. Like they're forcing the feeling of being frantic, even though, you know, something crazy is happening. But, okay, yeah, I um, can see that. Yeah, it's a little over the top. For yeah, sure. when when we have um, when we have the the redheaded woman in the glasses like yelling, um, <laughs> it's just like do, she's like tell her tell her this tell her this and I'm like uh, first of all like I would imagine at this point that um, you know it's not like a phone call that um, Carol Ann could probably hear him but at the same time it's just. It didn't seem like it would be beneficial for her to just yell at her while she's already trying to communicate. It it just took it out of it for me. No, that's fair. I, I feel like I just take it as like, oh yeah, this is for sure an eighties movie. Because yeah. like you said, like this the, the acting is not great. It's definitely over the top. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving parts. But that's kind of like Steven Spielberg for you, to be honest. That's pretty yeah, much how he yeah. loves his movies, especially like in like Jaws and stuff like that, where everyone's like frantic and running around and being all chaotic and stuff and yeah just like yelling at each other it's definitely his um his it is his touch all over this, yeah which is kind of funny but yeah it, it doesn't fit in like today's standards it doesn't make sense um but yeah it could take you away for me i i kind of accepted it um uh, because otherwise if i didn't know this was a steven spielberg film i think being filtered with a Steven Spielberg film helped me get through this movie and really enjoy it. 
if I didn't know it was him, I'd be like, what's going on? Yeah. So I guess my uh, perspective was swayed a little bit for sure. No, I agree with you because every time you, you do bring that up, I totally like, I think to myself, you're right. You're totally right. Um, but, um, yeah, with that context, like I said earlier, like it, it totally makes sense and I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, actually, yeah, no, that's it. I, I, I think you're totally right. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so she, Diane goes to the main investigator and asks for help. That's when we realize that Carol Ann is being taken upstairs as her voice is traveling through the house and she's screaming to leave her alone. The voice fades. Diane, looking up to the stairs, gets brushed with some air. That's when she says that she moved right through her and she felt her, that she went through her soul. Then we begin to hear some loud booms coming from upstairs in a huge growl and gusts of wind come swinging at the group downstairs. It knocks a bunch of stuff down and cut and and then there's a cut to the disturbances. One of the investigators that were upstairs comes back down. Uh, the main investor asks him what happened, and he says that he was in the kid's room and something took a bite out of him. That's when he lifts his shirt, and we see a huge bite mark over his entire stomach. How'd you this feel cool. seeing that? That's pretty This spooky. is cool. Yeah, I like this. Um, stuff like this is really cool. I think this is something that also continued on with paranormal movies um, as time has gone on. Um, and it, I like how it shows how violent the uh, whatever this entity is or um, multiple entities are. Are willing to be. I think it's a really good touch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was like, those bite marks look huge. Yeah, they do. I was like, damn. Uh, Steve wants Diane to take the kids and leave, and Diane says she's not going anywhere without Carol Ann. He then says he's not going to let anyone leave, or he's not going to leave anyone alone in this house. Then we cut to night. The new scene begins with the investigators whispering to each other. They explain all the things that are happening is based on their location. That there are a lot of things that are going on and the best way out is a place inside the house that there's a way in. We see the main investigator turn off the TV and Diane asks for it to be put back on. She apologizes to her and says that she's embarrassed. The investigator says, no, she's embarrassed to be here with such nice people. Nice little moment. <laughs> and then let me see if I can pronounce this right. Forgive me if I don't. She says that parapsych oh yeah, no, that's easy. Parapsychology isn't something you master in. There is no certificates or degree for it. That she's doing well in her ghostly hobby. She explains that she is absolutely terrified. Robbie says if he got killed, can he see his sister? Diane says that Carol Ann isn't dead. Then he continues, if I got killed, could I find her and help her get out? Tie a rope around me and then somebody could come and get us i was like dang this scene became very dark and very sad very quickly yeah i i think it's a good um a good conversation in the movie because it's trying to like really paint the field of what's actually happening in case anyone's confused on it so it's kind of like bringing people back in case they feel like too much has been going on that's fair I felt like this is a good scene to show the relationship that even though they're always fighting, her brother really cares about her too. Yeah. Like, oh, even if I like, I would be willing to give up my life to go help find her. It's like, dang, that's a huge sacrifice. Yeah, that is very sweet. That. It definitely reminded me of 
the movie that we covered, Beetlejuice, when she's writing the the suicide note, and yeah. like wanting to die to be with that couple instead of her own parents, which was yeah. weird. But it definitely gave me those type of vibes. And then that's when they start having the conversation that says, when you die, some people say that you could go to heaven. Then he explains that he saw someone die in the hospital once, and he didn't see anything go up. That's when Diane says <laughs> that the soul is invisible, and you can't see it. A little cute moment. I mean, not really cute for a kid to see someone die, but yeah. I think this moment uh, is very Spielberg, right? It's trying to show the... For sure. the um, innocence. Innocence of a child, exactly. For sure. Uh, the investigator says that sometimes when you die, you see a light and, it be- and you become a part of it. Some don't go towards it, though. Robbie asks, they think they're still alive? She says, yes. Maybe they find uh, they don't find out that they died or they weren't ready or wanted more in life. That they just hang around. Some people just get lost in the way to the light. That they need someone to guide them. He asks if the angry one angry ones do the most that happened in his room she says yes just like in school like some kids are nice to you and some kids are mean fun facts Mm -hmm. uh he explains that he got beat up by three kids and they took his lunch money he explains that maybe they got hit by a truck and they are upstairs right now another dark moment (laughs) coming from the little kid yeah that's kind of cute too i guess it's like oh these could be the bullies from school. Maybe they died and now they're like haunting us. So, that's cool. <laughs> again, yeah, again, the innocence of a child, which is it's done very well here. Yeah. Diane just says we ought to get some sleep and that her uh, that his grandma is really excited to see him and happy to have them stay with them. He says goodnight to both of his parents and then says goodnight, Caroyan. The camera pans to the TV on with the static. And then we cut outside to the house, and it's still nighttime. We hear a dog begin to bark, and we cut inside of the house with everyone sleeping. We see the two investigators awake looking at the monitors. We also see one of the drawings he made of Diane when Carol Ann went through her. And I was like, that's a pretty solid drawing. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. That guy went to art school. Uh, The other one goes into the kitchen and gets some food. He takes out a steak and gets a pan to put on the stove. Then the steak starts to move on the counter. He shines the flashlight at it and it begins to explode itself outwards. He drops the food in his mouth and we see that it's filled with maggots. He is disgusted and spits into the sink. The room begins super uh, begins to get super bright and he's looking into the mirror and we see his face begin to deform. We start to see blood going to the sink as his face begins to tear apart. And wow, I have to say, this is pretty crazy visuals. And it works. It works well. I think this was definitely the most horrifying part of the movie, to be honest. Yeah, I think it does work well, too. I want to go back on the uh, the meat and the chicken. I think it was super cool just seeing the the meat just like kind of implode on itself. And it had me thinking, right. like, how are they doing that? Because the counter's underneath it, and maybe there's a hole underneath or whatever. And they're just like pushing meat through. Um, but when he drops a chicken and he sees all the maggots on it, the idea of just like thinking, oh my God, did I just eat maggots? I like that because um, to me, the idea of it is just so terrifying and running to the the sink. It's really cool. But even though the sink uh, scene is dated on uh, 
him peeling his skin back on his face, like you said, Freddie, it still works. It works because it's still gross to look at. Whatever um, they use to mimic his flesh uh, going into the right. sink, it's gross to look at. And as it piles up, it gets even more gross. Um, because there's a cut where you see it's the actor and it is the fake head that he has placed. And even his hands are placed awkwardly like it doesn't seem natural. But it looks good because it's still gross. And um, it's it's fun. I actually enjoy this moment a lot. Right. It's one of those body horror scenes where it's like, it's crazy to look at. And probably back then in 1982, this was probably jaw-dropping. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. And it's one of those things where it's like, this movie really shines when they use practical effects. Once it goes CGI, of course, we know the special effects are dated. It doesn't really hold up as well. But with practical practical effects, it's actual living things that's like you're watching getting deformed or getting torn apart. And it just mm-hmm. works really, really well. That this scene, even though it looks not super realistic, it would have been a lot worse if they use like CGI on it or something like yeah. that. You're totally I'm happy right. they did something practical there because it just worked out for its best. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, a flash of light pops on and he's back to normal and there's no more blood in the sink. At this point, this guy is super scared, super shocked. We cut to some audio equipment and the other investigator listening to something. We see that the camera that they are using pans to the top of the stairs and we see the monitor right behind him. Then we see that he is listening to music and not noticing what's really happening. We see the charts that are recording going nuts. We see some weird ghostly fog come from upstairs and a light appear. We I thought this was really cool. Creak. Oh, it worked so well. It, it was setting yeah. up a really good atmosphere of the house, which was really cool. One of my favorite things is um, as that like fog or light comes from upstairs, you see it uh, like poke uh, a chandelier and kind of move past it and what i love about that yeah what i love about that is it gives context to every other paranormal movie i've watched where it um you know chandeliers or lights are moving um because now i think like oh this is like kind of what is happening what which is what i can't see um so i think that's cool i think it's a good like uh foundation or building block I completely agree because that is a really good point. Was like, I, I at some point I'm gonna start calling this thing the ghost force, uh, like that weird orbs and lights and stuff like that that move yeah. through. It definitely gives really good context for other scary movies. If one things move, it's that kind of ghost force that's going through it and moving around the house, and that's what's causing objects to move. And I think that's really fascinating. I think you make yeah. a really good point when saying that. Uh, the other guy comes back from the kitchen and we are seeing, uh, and he is seeing what is happening. He gets the other person's attention and makes him look up the stairs. That's when we get a shot of the stairs and we see this ghostly beam hanging up there at the top of the stairs. It slowly comes down and we see some orbs of light coming out of it. They are amazed at what they're seeing and everyone begins to start waking up at this point. We now see it becoming more ghostly and have like a figure of a person. Steve asks, what is it? Then we see a bunch of orbs fly around and disappear. The investigator says, I think we got it recorded. They play back the footage and they see it again. Diane says, 
look at them. We all see that the orbs are like ghosts. And the main investigator says that they're so lonely. Robbie asks, where are they coming from? And that's when we cut to the next day. Again, another pretty powerful scene of like horror. And the comedy is not really there at this point. Yeah, so, it's sprinkled it's in the, there. With, the moments are escalating and it's uh, it's starting to scare the family, which is cool. For sure. And like you said, it's definitely escalating. And they even making yeah. people hallucinate of their faces being torn off. So not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, we see Robbie get inside a taxi and goes off to his grandma's with the dog. So we this is funny. Yeah, I just wanted to add in again to people that are listening that are maybe quite a bit older than me. I was like, is this what happened in the eighties? You just send young children in taxis and send them off. Hello. I'm like, what? He's got his little briefcase. I was like, I would be terrified if I had a young kid and just put him in a taxi and just send him off. Right, where there's like no cell phones too, probably. Yeah, oh, it's just like you don't know what could happen to this kid, right? But yeah, I just thought it was really funny. And keep the dog. The dog obviously knows what's going on before it happens. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like the dog going last minute was just so unplanned. But they're like, okay. <laughs> I think it's so funny that um, Diane was like, "Hey, Robbie, call me." <laughs> it's just uh, really funny. There's yeah, there's some moments where it's just like a uh, little cringe, little cringe. Uh, we cut back inside the kitchen, and the lead investigator says that some of the jewelry that fell is over a hundred years old, while some of it only being a few years old. She expresses that they definitely have to display these, and Steve just says, "Don't put it on sixty minutes." That's when the doorbell rings. Steve goes and gets it. She tells Diane that one of them are staying back, for the other one is not coming back at all. Uh, she says that it, uh, that she will definitely come back, though, and bring some help and not to worry. And I just put here, they share this really nice moment where they hug each other. And Diane says, thank you. Nice little sweet moment. That's yeah. Uh, we cut to Steve talking to his boss, who uh, has been assuming that he's been out sick and he wanted to go check up on him. And he said that he had the flu. And that's why he hasn't been at work. His boss is worried that he may have some other thing on the side and might be leaving the company. He asks if he can go on a ride with him and wants to show him something. Then we cut to Diane upstairs and she knocks on the kid's door and says, Hello? She opens the door slightly and a huge war comes from it and she quickly closes the door back and starts apologizing. I was like, damn, that's pretty intense. Yeah, I like how you hear like screaming coming from the door. Right, she just like slightly opens the door and it's just like a bunch of crazy chaos and she quickly closes and just starts being frantic like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's a cool moment to have in there. It's a good transition point between what's going on with her and then her husband with her boss just hanging out. Totally. But yeah, we cut back to Steve and his boss again. His boss asks him about him moving up on the hill where they are walking on. He says that he's been knocking it out of the park, that he's got 45% of sales, that they're making a lot of money. And then the camera pants more, and we see that their land is uh, a cemetery. Steve makes a joke, not a whole lot of room for a pool. His boss says they'll own the whole land, and they'll already have plans of relocating the cemetery. Steve asks if he was kidding. He says it's just people. He says that they have done it before. And that's when Steve asks, when? And that's when he responds, 
1976, right down there. And then that's where he points at the town, Cuesta Verde, where they live. And I put here, the viewers now have some answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we cut back to the house, and it's nighttime. We see the main investigator is back with the old, with a older, shorter lady. The older lady says, do you all mind hanging back? You're jamming my frequencies. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Super funny. She surveys the room and closes her eyes and then begins to look upstairs. She begins to go up the stairs and rushes into the hallway. Diane says that they haven't heard from Carol Ann since last night. Uh, the older, smaller lady called, uh, is called Tangina. I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's going to be so hard. Tangina? Sure. Tangina. That's what I'm going to pronounce it as. <laughs> Tangina, the new person upstairs, asked Steve why the door is locked. He tried to make a joke and answer her using his mind. She comes out of the hallway and says, I'm addressing the living. He says, that's the kid's room. She goes back in the hallway upstairs. He says, I thought she was a clairvoyant. And she pops up, I am. I just don't like little tricks. or little I actually, I, mean. I really like that moment. I was like, you go, girl. Yeah, it's so good. She's smart. Uh, yeah, but she is. then again, that kind of plu- uh, proves she is a clairvoyant. Yeah, that's like whispering that. That's what I was gonna add. It, it for the viewers, it shows that she is not BSing. That she she knows what she's doing, and she does have like a sixth sense. Oh, for sure, it's crazy. I love that kind of stuff too. <laughs> uh, and I did not put this in my fun facts, but I'm gonna add it here because I think it's very interesting. That actress is actually a real life medium, and then that's probably what got her to roll. To be honest, that's really that's cool. Good. Uh, but we cut outside and back inside the house. Tangina asks Diane to hold her hand. She grabs it and then begins to kneel. She says that her daughter is alive. Diane starts to break down into tears, which is very heartfelt. Very sad. She explains that she gets the best feelings when it's at the point of origin in the kid's room in that closet. She explains that she must do everything she asks, even if it goes against her beliefs. And Diane says she promises she will. Tangina kisses her on the head and tells everyone to gather around. She explains that Carol Ann is, a, is in a spir- spiritual, earthbound plane, that they are attracted to one thing about her, her life force. And her life force is very strong and gives its own illumination. About memory of love and home and earthly pleasures, things they desperately desire but they don't have anymore, that she's the closest thing to that, and that's a terrible distraction for them. She asks Diane if she understands. She shakes her head no. She continues and says that these spirits are not at rest and they linger in a perpetual dream state. A nightmare which they cannot awake. They must pass them over and Carol Ann... They must help pass them over to the light and Carol Ann can help them. That she can only hear her mother's voice. She says now hold on to yourselves. There's one more thing. There's a terrible presence in there with her. She says that she doesn't know what happened over this house, but it was powerful enough to punch a hole through the, through this world and take their daughter. Which is kind of dark. It sounds like um, <laughs> they never really explain it, but I feel like this is a dem- like demon. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I did feel the same way, and uh, I like the touch of the touch of this because it's raising the stakes. Yeah, 
And I, I love how she explains it too. It's like, I don't know what happened over this house, but it was powerful enough to punch a hole through this world and take your daughter. Yeah. Damn. Something big is happening here. Mm-hmm. And that's where she continues that whatever this thing is, it's been using her and restrain the other spirits there. To us, he is the beast. And I was like, cool. This is for sure a demon. In my eyes. Yeah. We'll see. And then that's when she gives this badass line. Now let's get your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cheesy, but very much at the time. Right. Definitely very, very, very cheesy. And very Steven Spielberg. I can say that over and over again. It just yeah. has this flair all over this movie. <laughs> uh, we cut to them upstairs and they have a bunch of supplies. She then says to call for her. Diane calls her name. She tries again and say how much she, they miss her and love her. Tangina says she feels restrained and feels safe. Then asks which parent is the most, uh, what parent is she the most afraid of? They decided Steve because he's the one that does the punishments around the household. Uh, Tangina tells him to make her answer him. He says he has to be very angry with her and very stern to have her answer back. That's when he begins to yell and tries to call for her to have her answer back. And that's when we hear her screaming for her mommy. She asks her to tell her to go to the light. But that's when she's worried. But Tangina says that she will fo- uh, the spirits will follow her there. She tells her to run to the light. And Carol Ann asks if she's in the light. And she responds no. That's when Tangina tells her to say that she is in the light. And Diane says no, that's a lie. She tells her before it's too late that it's very important to do so. And that she's waiting for her there. Uh, then she says open the door. Uh, we get this close-up shot of the door, and they open it. We see a bunch of flashing lights coming from the closet in a lot of wind. Uh, he tells Ryan, one of the investigators, to go into the bottom of the stairs and wait for the target. She tells the anyone you get here... Oh, no. And she tells the other one to get her one of the tennis balls that they have there, which are labeled number one and number two. That's when we see Ryan go downstairs and have... And they have this rope hanging from the ceiling where the jewelry once fell. And there's like a ghost-like portal going off there. It's very interesting. How do you feel about the scene? There's a lot going on. A lot of moving parts. There is a lot going on. I I started to find myself confused about the so-called light. Because they keep going back and forth. If the light is good, light is bad. And it just gets... It started getting too confusing for me. It was like, like you said, it was too much. Or a lot was going on. Um, as far as the scene of them walking into the room, and it's just a lot of like dark and light. I thought it was a really cool touch cinematically. Um, it's like I said earlier, raising the stake, the stakes, and uh, setting the stage, and it it's making it more exciting. Right, I completely agree. I feel like this scene has maybe too much going on. I, yeah, it's a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, when they, the time, I guess it's a complicated situation. So sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but I, at this point in the movie, I actually thought the same thing, Freddie. I was like, I think there's just too much going on for me in this movie. Right. So yeah, we have a ghost portal going on. We got tennis balls. We got rope. We got yelling. Who is she yeah. the most afraid of? Have that parent start yelling at her because that's going to change how that communication has been going. Uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions that I had during this scene. It's like, especially yeah, towards the light. It's like, tell her to go run towards the light. But later on, she's like, don't. 
have her go through the light. It's like, okay, you're contradicting yourself at this point. Yeah, exactly. But this is one of those things where it's like, I just let it slide by. Okay. Uh, but that's when she gets handed one of the tennis balls, or both tennis balls, one saying number one, and the other one saying number two. Uh, she gets close to the closet and tosses number one in, and we see it goes through the portal downstairs. We see that their experiment worked. She throws the other one, and the other one worked as well. And we get this like funny line from the guy downstairs, kiss my ass, it worked. Another <laughs> <laughs> uh, swear word in the PG movie, 1982. Gotta love it. Uh, she asks for Diane to grab her hand. She says that she's at the end of the corridor and to tell her not to go into the light now. My point proven. Yeah. Uh, Diane screams out for Carol Ann to not go into the light, to stop where you are, and to not even look at it. Steve brings over the rope and throws it into the closet, and we see the other end of the rope goes through the portal. That's when they yell, take up the slack, and they begin to. Tangina gives the rope to herself first, trying to tie herself up, but Diane steps in and says, no, I'll do it, and then we tie the rope around her waist, and that's when we get this awesome moment of her and Steve as they kiss and say, I love you to each other. I felt that was a good moment, but it was a little long and very cheesy at the same time. It felt very Spielberg to me. Oh, very. That's when yeah. like, the musical score is going in. The music is like pretty awesome at this point. It feels like an adventure movie. Very Indiana Jones grabbing the girl, kissing her type of scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> uh, she yells Steven to not let go, and he says, never. She enters. Steve asks, when will we know when she's got her? Tangina just backs up against the wall and says, crossover, children. You're all welcome. Go into the light. And Steve just says, no, you don't go into the light. Which is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, that's when she starts to pull on the rope, back yelling for Diane. Tangina uh, says to him, no, not yet. But he ignores her and keeps pulling the rope. That's when we see a giant corpse head come out of the closet, roaring at him. He drops the rope and we cut to downstairs and we see Diane and Carol Ann fall from the portal covered in some red goo. Man, how'd you feel about the, I guess maybe that's the poltergeist itself coming out of the closet? Yeah, that moment was pretty cool because I like that it was a result of Steve just not listening and just like freaking out and spazzing. Um, at least that's how I saw it as. Um, but it was it was a cool touch, but I wanted to see it be more of a a nemesis really like i wanted this 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 constant back and forth of battling of like trying to get carol ann and diane back but um Mm. i think it was just it it just it didn't last as long for me i wanted to see more right it was short-lived very short-lived like it was really cool seeing that thing come out and then it did nothing so i was like oh okay sounds good (laughs) But yes, uh, Diane and Carol Ann fall to the ground and they are covered in this weird red goo. Tangina says to get them into the water. Steve goes down and picks them up from the ground and they get them into a bathtub. They're all still pretty knocked out and Steve is asking them to breathe. Diane wakes up and so does Carol Ann. She says, hi, daddy. And they're all happy and laughing at this point. The rest of the group closes the door behind them and gives them some space. Tangina says, smiling, this house is clean. Everyone is relieved, and there's happy music playing. Man, what a scene! Yeah, I, and at I this feel point, like it went by very quick. It did. Wasn't there. And at this point, I thought the movie would be ending. 
Uh, definitely, it's a point of ending for sure. Yeah, but, I think but like, I just wanted to give you one I, more thing. Yeah, because at this point, I was like, okay, the movie's over, and then like I like looked at the the timestamp. I'm like, oh, there's still like 20 minutes of this movie left. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. It is a good chunk left. Even like looking at my notes, I was like, oh wow, yeah, there's a lot left. But it's very interesting. But the next scene opens up with the movers and cardboard boxes everywhere. And I just put here on the notes, they are finally moving. Nice. Yeah, uh, I know, Dana right? says that she's going to dinner with some friends. Uh, Diane expresses that they will not be sleeping there tonight, that she better come home early. Diane says that she feels real good and can sleep for a few days. They look at Carol Ann, and Diane says that she doesn't remember a thing. Steve explains that they are not staying, and Diane says that they worked so hard for this. Steve says that he has to head to the office to finish a few things, and that he will be back pretty early. She says, so we are not staying here tonight, smiling. They, are, they all smile, and Carol Ann smiles back as well. Diane looks at Steve and whispers the words, I love you. We then see Carol Ann come over and hug her mom as Steve leaves. We cut to Diane in the house later that evening. She hears her kids playfully arguing uh, and smiles and heads to the bathroom. She puts on the tub and she's about to look and it looks like she's about to dye her hair. Uh, she goes into the kids room one more time and tells them that she will be taking a bath and that they should be able to tuck themselves in. They say yes and we cut back to Diane inside the tub now. The kids say goodnight to each other and turn off the lights. Robbie begins to look at the clown that's on the chair. At this point, he throws his jacket to cover it, but misses it. We, uh, we get a quick cut of Carol Ann reattaching the, her decapitated head from her doll back to its body. <laughs> she hugs it and goes to sleep, but the head falls off again. Funny touch. That's Yeah, nice little touch and it's very disturbing. Yeah, They both have really scary toys next to him. Nice. Uh, back with Diane in the tub, we see her relaxing. And I just put here on my notes, it's quiet too quiet <laughs> yeah good point it's like there was like a very long shot and it was just like silence I was like, yeah and and also it's like like i said earlier i thought the movie was ending i thought we already beat the beat beat the big baddie and it's like something's gonna happen if we're still here with the family right oh for sure without a doubt it definitely gave me those vibes it's like oh yeah this for sure is not over mm -hmm. and i do remember because this was like pop culture i knew about this movie because it's considered a cursed film and some of the stuff that they used in the film didn't pop up at this point yet so i was like oh that scene never happened yet so i know that's coming down the line oh okay so i knew something was coming up uh we cut back to robbie waking up from a noise he realizes that the clown is no longer in the chair fuck that hell <laughs> Uh, he begins to look under his bed, and there's nothing there. As soon as he pops up, the clown is right behind him, laughing, wrapping his arms around his neck. I love this. I wanted to see more of this in this movie, man. And um, right. it's funny because when I saw this, I'm like, oh, th this is where the clown is referenced in <laughs> Scary Movie. But I love how the clown uh, is given a new face. It's very uh, demented, right? And it's actually terrifying. This is like, to me, and I know it's subjective, but this is like the scariest 
point of this movie to me because it's like this clown looks twisted and not only that but it's twisting its arm around Robbie's neck and I'm, I'm, that's crazy I didn't expect this movie to go there at this it's, point it's super crazy and it's uh, animatronic in this movie too which is crazy oh weird. damn so like I said it works well when they use practical effects yep Yes, he gets dragged under the bed as Carol and watches. So scary. Uh, that yeah, that clown's face is very haunting to say the yeah. least. Yeah, and then getting dragged underneath the bed. Oh my god! But again, it's just think of scary again, movie. It's just a kid too. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it. I think if they played more on scenes like that throughout the film, I would have loved it like a ton more. Right. If they had more paranormal effects on the humans, I would say this movie mm-hmm. would have been better, or at least more horror esque. Uh, Diane is in her room, blow drying her hair, and she sits back on her bed and lays down. She begins to uh, hear Robbie screaming. As she gets up, she gets attacked by the poltergeist. And I just put here: this scene is very sexualized in a way, too. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, where, like it lifts its, her shirt up, and she's just in her underwear, and, and like, her waist is getting pushed up and down too. And then Scary right. Movie plays on this because I think in Scary Movie That's the right. the person that <laughs> does the person yeah. that does encounter this ends up having sex with the ghost. So, Which, um, yeah, hilarious. But earlier when I um, when we opened the episode, I talked about um, references to Nightmare on Elm, and uh, during this scene. Uh, she gets lifted up to the ceiling and dragged around the room, and that very much made me think of Nightmare on Elm. Oh, for sure. And I think, uh, I don't know what year that movie came out, but I'm sure maybe that was a reference to it, if it came out before. Probably. But I think it was... It was a very scary scene. Yeah. Um, I believe Nightmare on Elm was 84, so actually maybe... Um, oh, wow. Yeah, maybe it came out afterwards, so... What do you know? Wow, wow, wow. But yeah, she gets lifted onto the wall and onto the ceiling. We cut back and forth of Robbie being dragged under the bed with the clown and her being dragged up the ceiling. We see that Robbie is able to overpower the clown and starts tearing it apart. Good man. Yeah, for the real. The closet door opens up and sounds and lights come from it, which Carol Ann looks at. We see Diane finally put, uh, put down on the ground and into the hallway and her door slamming behind her. She yells for her kids to run. That's when we see this ghostly plant-like thing appear on the kid's door. And it's very hard to explain, but it was like very gross, gooey, thick stuff coming through the door and blocking it. It kind of felt like uh, a spreading fungus or something like that. It made me think of Stranger Things when you uh, had those uh, openings to the Upside Down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, she reaches for the door, but gets shocked by a ghost, uh, ghost force. That's when a creepy ghost spirit appears. It has these super long limbs and a skull for a face that is uh, like very elongated and has sharp teeth, which growls at her. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was was awesome. And uh, again, I was just like, okay, this moment of the movie is the moment that I liked the most. And I was like, I wanted this throughout the whole movie. Uh, Because to me at this point, after we quote unquote solve the conflict, it kind of just feels like these are bonus scenes at these points. That's a good way Um, to put it. 
Yeah, because like Very if this was scenes. yeah, if this was sprinkled throughout the film, I think it would have been so much better. I feel like yeah, it it could have been stitched together where this was in the middle of the movie and then having a climax at the end. Yep, exactly, but exactly. You put, it, you put in a good point. It was like it feels like extra content after they resolve the conflict. Yep. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, she re- let, me, uh, let me see. Okay. She screams for it to not touch her babies as it pushes her down the stairs, and then she gets shocked, trying to go back up the stairs. Then she goes for the front door, but gets shocked again and gets knocked down. We see Carol Ann saying, no more, which is very sad. <laughs> yeah. And that's when the closet door breaks open. We cut to Diane running outside in the rain calling for help. She slips and falls into the pool and into the hole where all of the rainwater is. And that's when we begin to see a bunch of floating skeletons pop up. This is the scene I was talking about. I knew this was a major scene in this movie. Made it very mm. iconic. Um, and earlier you had sure mentioned... Earlier, you had mentioned that you think the pool, digging up the pool itself, is could have been a huge correlation of why all this was happening. You, you right. I was it's guessing still- you probably thought they dug too deep, right? Possibly, I think so. I think them digging the pool <clears throat> reached the bodies of the people who were buried there, which yeah. disturbed it mm-hmm. and caused all of the phenomenon to start happening. That's a because really, really as good you theory. Can see, they've been at the house before. They probably lived there for a little bit more than like what we saw, and nothing really happened until now. Yeah, it's so, a really good point. Yeah, uh, but the big thing about this movie being cursed and everything like that, and what they did with doing the movies, was uh, and I'll share this fun fact now because it fits perfectly here. The skeletons that were in the pool scene were actually real skeletons. Oh, what? That is gnarly. Yes. Damn. Uh, and the actress herself thought it was like made from uh, the makeup team, but then she found out it was real skeletons. That they oh my goodness. So that just makes it that much uh, spoopy. Yeah. But then we see a casket float up, opening and dumping another skeleton on her. She tries to climb out, but she keeps on slipping down. She falls all the way back down into the water with all of the skeletons finally making her getting very scared. That's when she grabs a piece of pipe to pull her up and her neighbors come to her rescue, helping the rest of her way up. She, They begin to hear Carol Ann screaming and they ask what kind of sound is that? And Diane says that they need her help or they need, she needs their help to go help them. She asks for their help as she runs in and goes back upstairs. We see that she's into the door room, but it's at the very end of a long hallway now. She begins to run towards it and finally gets there. She opens the door and almost gets sucked into the closet. We see that her kids are holding on as well, for they are trying not to get sucked into it, which looks like the gates of hell. But it looks more like a big mouth trying to consume them. This looked visually awesome too. Yeah, I actually... I actually think this is one of the strongest uh, points of the movie where you have supernatural looking very realistic. Right. It looks like they're like looking down some big ghostly throats, pulsating, trying to devour them. Yeah. And it's a powerful thing. 
it melds really good with the rest of the room. It doesn't look like it was just like kind of plastered on there. It just it looks realistic. Right. In comparison to the rest uh, of the sh- film. Oh, for sure. This is one of the effects where it doesn't obviously look prosthetic. This is definitely like CGI and it actually still holds up pretty well. Yeah. So I was like, good for them. They had a good mix of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she manages to get a good grip and tries to grab Robbie. It takes him a very long time, but she's able to grab Robbie's hand. Then he tell, uh, she tells him to grab his sister. And then we see this weird tentacle trying to get them, but she manages to pull them out out of the room just in time. That's when we see Steve returning back from his work to the house and sees that the whole house is lit up and the windows are filled with bright lights and there's a lot of static going on. And he's wondering what's going on. Um... Uh, he screams Diane's name and opens the front door. We see them downstairs, but a casket appears out of nowhere and blocks the exit. She screams for help, and the door closes right in front of his face. That's when we see a bunch of more skeletons break through the ground, and we see more skeletons. Steve runs into his boss and says, "You moved the cemetery, but you didn't leave. Or, but you didn't. But you left the bodies, didn't you?" And he yells that you only moved the headstones. And he yells it several times to his face. The family manages to get out and they hop into the car. As he tries to find the keys, he finally gets in. He starts the car, but a skeleton comes flying through the garage before he could. They back up quickly, crashing into another car. Dana comes back from her friend's house and begins to yell, and they ask her to hop in the car as well. That's when they get her in and they begin to drive away. We see that the whole neighborhood is getting destroyed at this point, and there's fires everywhere. We see Steve's boss one last time as he gets pushed to the ground. Then we see the house implode on itself into the portal and vanishes. Back with the family, they show that they, le- that they are leaving the town with everyone being very shook. That's when we cut to a Holiday Inn and the family are looking all sorts of messed up and traumatized. Steve opens the hotel door and go inside. We see Steve take out the TV outside and goes back inside. The camera pans out and we begin to see the ending credits appear. Wow. That was a ride. How did you feel about the ending? Uh, I think it was what made it satisfying for me was to um, see the house implode on itself and kind of suck it in. Uh, That was really cool. Um, but it was cool also to see like the whole neighborhood be affected at this point where everyone's kind of confused on what's happening. Um, I like when things are brought to a large scale like that. Oh, for sure. The big thing is like, I feel like the events were centralized to their house because of the swimming pool. But now that everything's going like bonkers and everything's literally rising from the grave is that the whole entire city was buried under the cemetery. So now it got powerful enough to actually expand to other houses and stuff like that. And then being yeah. able to just close the portal after exposing what they have done. And finally giving peace to the spirits of saying, this is my resting ground. And now I'm going to disturb your rest with us coming up. That's yeah. how I took it. I can have said it better myself. Uh, I like this movie. I don't know if uh, talking through it has changed your perspective at all. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> I think I, I think I still feel the same way about it, but it did have a blast talking about it. Yeah, 
it's definitely a fun movie to break down and discuss. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. Uh, most of it, for me, good. Some of it bad. Uh, I would say that definitely needs a little bit more help of like the editing style. I think we both agree that these last scenes were a bit better in the middle of the movie. But overall, I had fun. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it to people. I would definitely recommend it to people who have never seen it before and have no outside influence. Because like we were talking about, there's a lot of pop culture in this movie. Gets ruined through other movies that have made parodies of it or just scenes that have been exposed to it. But mm-hmm. I love the fact that this is a very haunted film and a lot of weird stuff happened afterwards. But it's really cool. Any last thoughts, David? I'm just glad that I finally got to see this movie because I know it is um, a very, very iconic. Uh, iconic movie in horror. So um, I actually do appreciate that you um, portrayed the context of this not really being a horror film. Well, well, it is horror, but um, it is more like a, a an adventure film with horror elements and it's more whimsical. Um, seeing it through that lens, I, I think it's a lot better of a movie than me just seeing it through the lens of strictly a horror movie. Right. And it's, it's one of those movies that's it's kind of one of a kind. I don't think I've seen a movie like this one. And I see why it's so iconic and why it's so much loved. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to say I'm going to watch this again anytime soon. I probably won't. I think the rewatchability is not there for me myself, but I did enjoy this movie. But glad to hear it. Please, guys, please let us know how you guys feel about the movie on Twitter at Goodnight Life. That's night with a K. We'd love to hear about it. But I got you guys some movie facts. Movie facts. Cool. So Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke, kept the pet goldfish Carol Ann had in the film. <laughs> That's really cute. <laughs> I'm happy she got that. That was like yeah. a little, that was like her bonus track. It's like, by the way, you did a good job in the film. Here's some goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this I heard about, which is kind of funny. Drew Barrymore was considered in the role for Carol Ann because she was a child actor at that time, but director Steven Spielberg wanted someone more angelic. It was Bar- Barrymore's audition for this role, however, that landed her the part for a girdle for E.T. afterwards. That's actually really funny. That's a cool fact. Yeah. So she didn't get this role, but hey, you made it to E.T. That ain't yeah. bad. Uh, and it's kind of funny when they actually, I don't have this as a fun fact. I just noticed from my research that I did, Heather O'Rourke, who ended up getting the role, her first edition went poorly that she kept on laughing while doing the scenes. And then pretty much Spielberg told her to come back and re-audition and to bring the back like a scary book or something like that and then she nailed it so oh what do you know fun fact um so both of the terrors that plagued robbie came from the director steven spielberg's own fears as a child a fear of clowns and a tree outside of his window (laughs) that's funny to hear that the tree um was something that he was scared of (laughs) i mean if it was like that tree and it's outside your window as a kid I can kind of probably be pretty scared of it too. Or I would assume so. That's funny. Uh, Joe Beth Williams, uh, who played Diane, was hesitant about shooting the swimming pool scene because of the large amount of electrical equipment positioned over around the pool. 
I would too. In order to comfort her, Steven Spielberg crawled into the pool with her to shoot the scene. Spielberg told her, now if a light falls in, we will both fry. The strategy oh, worked damn. and Williams got into the pool. That's actually really funny. Yeah. Kind of dangerous, but yeah. Yeah, but also, also like... Uh, I'm, skeletons too. Yeah, I'm surprised that she's like, well, if, if, if I'm going to die, at least I'll die with someone. Like that's what got her to be like, okay, I'll do it. Right, it's the whole thing. Like, if someone jumps off the bridge, will you do it too? Yeah. <laughs> so, this film was originally given an R rating, but the filmmakers protested successfully and got a PG rating because PG-13 rating did not exist at the time. Mmm, damn. Didn't know that. Fun fact. I didn't either. For myself. <laughs> oh, this one's kind of dark. So, this is what's part of uh, the haunting of this film, too. At around one hour and 35 minutes, when Robbie is being strangled by the clown's arms, it became uh, it was uh, becoming very tight. Uh, Robin uh, started to choke. When he screamed out, I can't breathe, director Steven Spielberg thought, Tobe Hooper thought, wait, sorry, Steven Spielberg and the director Tobe Hooper thought he was just ad-libbing for the scene and just instructed him to look at the camera. When Spielberg saw that Robin's face were turning purple, he ran over and removed the clown's arms from Robin's neck, as he was indeed getting choked by the animatronic. Damn, that's twisted. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of scary. It would be hard to it'd be hard to do that scene afterwards after experiencing that. Oh, for sure. Uh, this is where like, uh, have you heard that this film is cursed? No. So you mentioning that throughout the episode was the first time I've ever heard that context. So I don't think I have this in the. Um... The notes because I thought it was too dark. Uh, but two of the actresses like passed away soon after. They were actually murdered. Um, there's like a lot of things that happened on set. Oh, no. There was a lot of like where the director was sleeping. It was haunted there as well. There was a lot of weird phenomenon going on during this movie and then after the movie as well. So this has been considered a cursed film. And this was um, one of the moments in that as who- well. Do you know off the top of your head who passed away? I know one of the actresses was the the older sister. Dana. Yeah, damn. Yeah, she got strangled by her ex-boyfriend and then another person got like killed with an axe or something like that. Oh my very goodness. Dark. Um but yes, may they rest in peace. Um but yeah, this is considered one of the most haunted films and it continued on while they made the trilogy. Like weird stuff happening. But yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Um, a little flashback of we always talk about the te- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but Spielberg hired Tobe Hooper after being impressed with his work on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 1974. Damn. All right. Hey, you saw that really dark horror movie? I want you to be in this somewhat kids movie. <laughs> <laughs> that ended up being PG. Uh, the cemeteries Steve and Teague are talking in front of has an identical tree to the one that has that was at the house that tried to eat Robbie, which was a subtle cru- uh, clue that the Freeling house was built over a cemetery. Oh, wow. That's, cool. That's actually really cool. Uh, small details. It matters. Yeah. We love them details. Um, the scene where Diane is attacked in her bedroom by an invisible force was actually filmed in a rotating box with a stationary camera. This gave the appearance that she was being dragged up the wall and across the ceiling. 
which I think is fantastic because that's very rare during those times where we get to see that a little bit more and more nowadays. So I feel like that was ahead of its time. Yeah, I have to agree. And it, it when I was watching the scene, I was like, this looks really real. And also it's like, how do they do this? Like I said, practical effects works very yeah. well. Uh, the clown puppet used in the film is on display in Planet Hollywood Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Oh, the same one? Yeah. I, I Dang. will definitely check that out the next time I'm over there. <laughs> That's really cool. Permits, of course. Uh, this is t- talking about the pop culture. Around 24 minutes when we hear the movie line there here was voted as the number 69 movie quote by the American Film Institute out of 100. So it's in the top 100 quotes of all time. Damn. Uh, this is actually really good. Despite being a horror slash thriller film, there are no murders or fatalities depicted in this film. Huh, now, that's a really good I point. Want to, I want to uh, contradict that. Tweety will feel different about this comment. That's a very good point. <laughs> How dare they? And True. speaking of transition, when Diane attempts to flush Tweety, the dead bird, it casts a shadow of a shape of a shark, a.k.a. Jaws, filmed in 1975. Does it really? Is it the shape of a shark? This fun fact says so. <laughs> I wonder. I'm going to go back and check the tapes. Me too. <laughs> but uh, apparently, which is a nice little nod to himself. And more nods. In Robbie's room, there is a alien poster on the wall. This is a nod to Jerry Goldsmith, Pol- Poltergeist composer who also scored Ridley Scott's movie three years prior. That's really cool. Nice. And the last fun fact that I have, just to have a little praise for this movie, this is included among the Amer- American Films Institute 2001's list of top 100 most heart-pounding American films. Dang. What? A big thing to accomplish. Yeah, totally. But, you guys, this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddy, also known as Nighty Night. Alongside me on the web, we had David. Stay spoopy, everyone, and have a spoopy month. Oh, yeah. Spoop it up. Also known as Nightly. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Reading those five stars is very helpful. But we would love for you to recommend the podcast to someone you know who would enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, the war about a sweetheart. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.